0: Back in the 80s, there was a school of thought that impacted some of the hiring practices in business. I know some of my friends were using it, and it's called graphology. What is graphology? Well, graphology is basically the analyzing of your handwriting. And that school of thought taught that if you can look at your handwriting and you can analyze it and actually can tell things about your personality— and some of your character, and so forth. Uh, handwriting activities supposedly reveal my personality. I'm not taking sides, right or wrong. Uh, but the amazing thing was for me to think immediately of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, where the apostle Paul said that the believers in Jesus Christ are like an epistle. It's like a written letter that people can read, and it's be read by all people. Um, But the truth is, people read us not merely our handwritings, but they read our conducts. People study us, uh, not just our words, uh, but our lives. They examine our character, Uh, not what we claim, but how we live. We have begun this new series, Last Message, entitled, Happiness is in You. It's not something you go strive for it. Jesus said, it's in you you've got to figure out where it is and how you get it. (laughs) Happiness is in you. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed. We saw that in the last one. Happy. Fortunate. And in the Greek is what? Makarios. Say it with me. Happy. Are those who mourn. <laughs> now, at first glance, you, you've got to scratch your head and, and you shake your head and say, wait a minute, Michael, it's, how can that be? How can be happy are the unhappy? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So let me remind you of what I said in the last message. I said that Jesus is not talking about the feeling of happiness. Uh, Those feelings of happiness, there are fleeting moments because they depend on the circumstances and they go out the window with the circumstances. Uh, He is talking about the deep, deep, deep joy that comes from mourning, from grieving over our sin. First, I need to stop here and explain something. The word mourning here or grieving is not, let me repeat this, it is not the kind of mourning and grieving that we all experience when we lose our loved ones. That's not what he's talking about. I'm going to come to that in in details. It is not even the mourning over what's happening in the stock market. It is not even uh, mourning over a loss of a relationship, a breakup of a relationship in marriage or elsewhere. We saw in the last message when he said, blessed, happy, Makarios are those who are poor in spirit. He's not talking about those who don't pray and don't read the Bible, or feel poor in the spirit. No, no, no. It, 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 blessed are those who feel empty without Jesus. Blessed are they when they feel they're so incapable of saving themselves. That is the first step to your blessing. Uh, these are blessed because God gives him himself. God gives him his heaven. God gives him eternal joy. The second step, and as I pointed out to you, this is a superstructure. Jesus didn't just pluck stuff here, blessed are you, blessed are you, and just put them together. No, no, no. he's building a superstructure. One builds upon the other. And so if you mark him in your Bible, you can draw a little step going up here. The second step in the superstructure we call the Beatitudes, you're going to find that mourning is the extension of being poor in spirit. It's the extension of being broken on the inside. Mourning uh, takes brokenness a step further. That mourning over sin acts upon our brokenness. That is the expression of our brokenness on the inside. Let me remind you again the last message. Poor in spirit is declaring spiritual bankruptcy so that only God can bail us out. Poor in spirit is the emptying of myself of myself so that I may be filled with the spirit of Jesus. poor in the spirit, is to come to the realization that I have nothing to offer God, that I have no bargaining chip with God, that I have nothing to plead, that I have nothing with which I can buy the favor of heaven. I quoted to play this hymn which we sang just a few minutes ago. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. That is the attitude of brokenness and mourning over sin. To such people belong the kingdom of heaven. Today you hear Jesus saying, that when you mourn, when you grieve over our sin, we are blessed, we are comforted. Why? Because we will experience that comfort, that joy, that strength of his forgiveness, and can only come from his forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm confronted with my failures and with my sins, I deeply grieve. I deeply grieve. Oh, it's not just a regret, and I just say, "Well, I'm remorse." It's not just, "Oh, I feel bad about doing this." No, 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 no. I grieve over the fact that I have offended my best friend that I have in this whole world. the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. We are trying to find comfort everywhere, and we're finding it to be elusive. I mean, some will try to find it in chemical substance. Others try to find it in alcohol. Others are trying to find it in denial of reality and living in fantasy world. Some are trying to find it in traveling far and wide. Some try to find it in excessive work. Sadly, it's like placing a Band-Aid on a tumor. More work. Actual mourning over sin, mourning over our failure and shortcomings, creates a door. Not open the door, creates a door. Because it's going to be created. And that door makes it possible for God to enter into our hearts with his glorious presence. Hear me right, please. When we take pride in our sin and parade it, when we are blaseye about sin, when we are carefree about sin, God has a hard time reaching us. I know it's true in my life. I know it's true in your life. God has a hard time getting our attention. When all is well, when everything is running smoothly, we take God for granted. We take Him for granted. The older I get and the deeper I go with God, the more I'm aware of my helplessness without God. And that puts me on the knees of prayer. But that's not all. When I confess and mourn over my failure and my shortcomings and my sin, the comfort that Jesus gives me is sweeter than I can describe in words. And I know some of you can say amen to that. Some time ago, I preached a whole sermon on all the paradoxes in the Bible. The only faith that is filled with paradoxes is the Christian faith. It's the only only faith. You cannot find paradoxes anywhere else in any other religion, any other group, any other teaching. The Christian faith is the only faith that's filled with paradoxes. And the second beatitude, as we're climbing up, probably is the clearest example of what I mean by the paradox in the Christian faith. What could be more (laughs) self-contradictory than happy are the unhappy? The way to happiness is sadness. That's what it says. The road to rejoicing is mourning. No wonder the non-believers have a hard time comprehending the Christian faith. They think it's absurd. (laughs) And I happen to agree with them. Until you come on this side of the cross, you can't see it. You can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. When we see people who are willing to spend their fortune (laughs) uh, to avoid pain, when you see people who uh, would do whatever it takes to avoid disappointments in life, I mean, they will do whatever it takes. Uh, When you see people who would avoid sorrow and grief on every turn, then you realize what Jesus says here, that only happy are those who grieve over their sin begin to make sense for the believer. Not for the number, for the believer. In Luke chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, woe to you who laugh now and you mourn and weep later, talking about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth in a Christless eternity. In John 16:20, Jesus said to his disciples, "You will weep and mourn talking about the time of the crucifixion while others will rejoice." You must be thinking, "Michael, stop. Just stop here. What kind of a leader is Jesus? What kind of a, a motivational teacher or speaker he is? <laughs> what kind of a motivational seminar is this? Uh, What kind of an incentive package that he's offering his executives? I mean, it doesn't make sense. There are basically three types of mourning and grieving. Three types. The first one is self-explanatory, but I'll tell you about it because I think all of us have been there at some point. The first one is a, a destructive mourning That emanates from self pity. Oh, poor me. Uh, Emanates from doubting of God's word. Emanates from unfulfilled desire. It emanates from uh, a destroyed ambition. I've been there. I know it. In my early days, I know it. And it's self explanatory. I'm not going to. Dwell on it. But the second type, the second type of mourning is a proper kind of mourning that happens due to circumstances out of our control. This type of mourning is really God's gift to us to help us cope with the disappointments of life. It's really a truly gift of God. The second type of mourning is our safety valve that lets, lets the poisonous air out uh, for a legitimate pain, for a legitimate grief. This second type of mourning is like the balm that you place on the wound. This second type of mourning is God's provision for us to receive healing and to receive solace and to receive comfort from Him. Even the Arabs have a saying that says, too much sunshine can create a Sahara. And they ought to know. (laughs) All sunshine creates Sahara. Listen to me. The troubled free life can become shallow. I can hear somebody right now saying, Michael, (laughs) just I would really like to experience this shallow life for a while. (laughs) I mean, I'm going from storm to storm to storm to storm. I understand. I really do. But let me answer this by telling you a true story. A true story. There was a man who wrote some of the most beautiful music in all of human history. And I know I'm subjective. I tell you up front. Uh, To me, it, it is probably the most amazing music composer ever lived. Now, This is not an exaggeration. As I said, it's a personal view. Yet this man has experienced tragedies in his life that would last several lifetimes of other people. Let me tell you about him. At the age of 10, his parents both died, and his older brother begrudgingly took him on and brought him up, and he was resenting the fact there's another mouth to feed. Even as an adult, his life was marked with sorrow and mourning and grief. His first wife died only after 13 years in marriage. He had 20 children in two marriages. Ten of them died at childbirth. One was mentally challenged. Now, you might think, wow, this is enough uh, mourning and sorrow for two lifetimes, but that's not all. That's not fi- we're not finished yet. <laughs> this man eventually became blind, and he was paralyzed from a stroke. And yet, he continued to write wonderful music Great music, profound praise music, thunders thanksgiving praise and music, and filled with adoration to God. Who is this man? It's no other than Johann Sebastian Bach. He was a devout believer. And to this day, I consider him to be the world's greatest composer of all time. Even in his deepest despair, God blessed him abundantly. But then there is that third type of mourning that I believe Jesus is talking about here. It's the third type. This type of mourning that he meant here in the, in the Beatitude is the type of mourning that receives supernatural comfort. From the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Blessed, happy, fortunate, Makarios are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, beloved, this type of sorrow he's talking about here is a godly sorrow. And and listen to me very carefully. And this type of grief and sorrow and mourning is very private. It has to be between you and God. If you want to involve somebody, that's fine, but it is something so private between you and God. Blessed, happy, makarios, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the only sorrow that will lead to spiritual growth, to maturity in Christ. In the first beatitude, I said, entry into heaven. That's the beginning step to become saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. The first step to salvation, the very first step, is to begin by feeling of a spiritual bankruptcy. That's the first step. But then you move upward and onward and forward, and that attitude of brokenness doesn't stop the moment you say yes to Jesus. Only those who feel spiritually inadequate without God will become those who mourn over their condition. The Greek word that is used here for mourning, and now Jesus did not speak Greek, he spoke Aramaic, but the Greek word that the writers of the New Testament put is the word pentheo. Pentheo. Is that heartfelt? That's why it's private. It's that heartfelt brokenness. Mourning. It's the same word actually used in the Greek Old Testament in Genesis 37 34 when Jacob, Israel, was paralyzed by grief when they said to him, his sons lied to him and said, your son Joseph has been devoured by a ferocious animal and here's his goat. It's the kind of grief that Mark sixteen ten talks about, the disciples felt when they saw the cross and they did not think of the resurrection yet. Listen to me. It is also used in the book of Revelation chapter 18. I want you to listen very carefully. And I hope that when you go home, read Revelation 18. Because prior to the return of Christ, it's going to be an economic collapse, global economic collapse. It says that the business world leaders, you know, from Bangalore to Bangkok, it's going to be global. It's going to be worldwide. They're going to weep and moan over the collapse of worldwide economy. And that is why you need to know Jesus, because Jesus will walk with us even in a fiery furnace. I feel bad for those people who are living in fear and terror. I really do. I, I wish I could take every one of them and said, come on. <laughs> no fear in Christ. Live or die. You win either way. Amen. Amen. Oh, God, give God glory. Give God glory. This word conveys deep agony over sin. This story told about a a well-known preacher who impacted not only Scotland, but all of the British Isles. He was a man of warning, mourning. He mourned over sin. He was in Dundee, Scotland. My wife and I were in Dundee just a few months ago. I have dear friends there. We were up to see them. Beautiful place in Dundee, Scotland. This young pastor, just out of seminary, have heard about how this other pastor had such a great impact and and, and, and was aware of what's happening because it was just a few years after he died. So the young sermon, just graduating out of seminary, went to visit that church in Dundee, Scotland. He wanted to know the secret of this man's success, the secret of how this man impacted thousands of people from that little town of Dundee, Scotland. And his name was Robert Murray McCheney. This man, who impacted thousands of people, died at the ripe old age of 30. 30. And yet he made a huge impact, not only upon Scotland, but the UK, before he turned 30. The sexton. A sexton is the old English word for caretaker. Uh, There's some churches still call them the sextons. Uh, The sexton was there, and he asked him, tell me. What is the secret of his success? (laughs) He took him to the study where McCheney has all these books, but he actually had some books that were still open. They they didn't collect them from his desk. And then behind the desk there was a chair. He said, now, go and sit on that chair. And the visitor complied. And then the sexton said to him, now... Put your head on your, Put your hands on your head, and the young man complied. Said, "Now let the tears flow, for that's what Macchieni did." Then he took him to the sanctuary. <laughs> he stood behind the pulpit from which Mark Cheney preached. He said, now, put your elbows on the lectern. And the young pastor did. Put your f- face on your hands, on your face. And the visitor obeyed. He said, now, let the tears flow. For that's what Mark Cheney did. But there's something else I don't want you to miss in this beatitude. Jesus is not saying that happiness is going to come out of the act of mourning itself. That's not what he's saying. But rather that happiness it what comes from what god does in response to that morning isn't that amazing and i hear people talk about the power of prayer there's no power in prayer there's a power in the god who answers prayer Amen. true happiness comes from his forgiveness and healing and restoration that washes over us when we confess, and when we grieve over our sin. True comfort can only be experienced by those who are prone to weep over their sin. Today, we take pride in sin. Today, we glorify sin, even in some churches. But Jesus said, only those who mourn over sin will bring about true happiness and true comfort and true joy. Please hear me Jesus is not talking about psychological or emotional experience that people talk about now, this uh, uh, catharsis. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. That, that can make you feel better, yes, but that's temporary. He is talking about deeper, deeper inner healing and restoration of intimacy with him which sin always raptures. Listen to me. The world says you can face your troubles by gritting your teeth a little harder, by lifting up your chin a little higher, by blasting a false smile and sound and look happy. Have a positive thought and good things will happen to you. Yep, that's preached. I heard it. When you have an unconfessed sin, when you're not grieving over that sin and confessing it in your heart, no amount of positive thinking is going to help you. You can have all the positive thoughts you want. When there is an unconfessed sin... All of the self-affirmation that you can muster will not help you. Now, here's a fact. Sin and true happiness, and I'm talking about true happiness, not the ha-ha happiness. (laughs) Sin and true happiness are completely and totally, absolutely, positively incompatible. They're incompatible. They simply cannot coexist together until sin is confessed, until sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, until sin is redeemed. Until then, happiness, true happiness, true joy will be standing out in the cold. Why? Because only those who mourn over sin, only mourning over sin brings forgiveness. And forgiveness of sin brings true joy, true comfort, and true happiness. One more thing I need to tell you. It's very important. Here, Jesus is not talking about going around looking morbid. They're going around like they've been baptized in vinegar. Uh, I mean, they're walking around looking miserable all the time. See, Jesus is not talking about the person who is humorless. No. Proverbs 17, 22 said, A joyful heart is a good medicine. But the heart that rejoices in sin is not taking the medicine, it's taking poison. That's why I said it's a very private thing. It's between you and God. Jesus is not talking about... Uh, despairing type of mourning. No, we the least one ought to be despairing. Jesus not talking about willowing in self pity. Oh, poor me type of mourning. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, mourning over sin does not focus on the self at all. Did you get that? It does not, that mourning over sin doesn't have anything to do with you. The mourning over sin does not even focus on the sin itself. No. What does it focus on? It focuses on God. In Romans chapter 7, when the apostle Paul said, wretched man that I am, he immediately goes in chapter 7, verse 25, and he goes on to declare that I have victory in Jesus Christ. And it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ can I have victory. Praise be to God. Paul knew where the victory was. He knew that. Paul knew also that the victory of yesterday will not stretch for tomorrow. Just like the manna in the wilderness, they had to be picked up fresh every morning. Do you want to know if you are growing in Christ or you have become so stagnant? Do you know how to know? Hey, read my lips. It's not sinlessness. Did you read my lips? It's not sinlessness. That's only going to happen in heaven. Not here. The mark of spiritual maturity in Christ is growing awareness of the sinfulness of sin. I used to hear that as a young man, preachers talk about the sinfulness of sin from the book of Hebrews, and I said, what is that? Oh, I know what it is now. Listen to what the Apostle John said. If we say, that is, if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we're telling a lie. (laughs) That's just a blunt way of telling you. Oh, listen to the rest of it. Don't leave the rest out. But if we confess, here it comes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful not only to forgive us all our sins, but washes us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What a great God we worship, huh? What a great God we worship. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. In ancient Rome, when they had great victory, conquering new territories. They brought the captives, the soldiers of their enemies, they brought them back to Rome. But they killed them in a merciless way, as well known at that time. And so they, they take the enemies, soldiers, captured soldiers, and they tie them together with a dead body face-to-face, hand-to-hand. And that enemy soldier remains until the horrible effluvia would destroy the life of the living victim. One of the Roman historians by the name of Virgil described this cruel and inhumane, grotesque punishment this way, He said, the living and the dead are coupled together face to face, hand to hand, until the living choked with stench, until the living wretched pine away and die. Now, beloved, listen to me, please. I'm pleading with you. Spiritually speaking, this is what happens when we have a cherished an unconfessed sin inside of us. Until we confess and mourn over sin, it is like being tied to a dead body. When our mourning over sin rises up to heaven, let me tell you, in the authority of God's Word, and I testify personally, when your confession rises up to heaven, Jesus promised of His comfort and peace is going to come By return mail. Won't take long. Immediately. I want to finish by asking you a question: What's hindering you from mourning, confessing your sin? What's stopping you? I don't know. Only you can answer that in the privacy of your own thought. You, every individual, can answer that themselves. Is it pride? Is it conceit? Is it deception? Self-deception. Because conceit and self-deception tells us there's nothing in your life that needs to be confessed or mourned over. Nothing. You're a good person. The problem is with the others. <laughs> Always the problem with the others. Not with you. The problem is with your spouse. The problem is with your parents. The problem is with your children. The problem is with your boss. The problem with these other Christians. Conceit, self-deception says, you have nothing to mourn over. Sometimes I hear people who are up to their eyeballs in sin, and they would say, this is just the way. Everybody lives that way now. Now. It's all changed from the days of the Bible. Sure, my sin is bad, but it's not as bad as many others. (laughs) As long as they think that way, they'll never receive the comfort of the paraclete. Only when you come in confession and mourning. If the Holy Spirit brought you under conviction, I plead before God, Don't shrug it off. Don't shrug it off. God wants and longs to comfort you.